0: Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today we're discussing how to work with a financial advisor.
1: Meet Miguel. He has investments through Principal. Hi there. Miguel finally had the opportunity to buy his dream car in retirement. But life changed when his 16-year-old granddaughter moved in. We're happy to have her. With the help of his advisor, Miguel reworked his financial plan, and now that dream car looks a little different. We just want it to be safe for her to drive. We can help you plan for that. Principal. Investments. Retirement. Insurance. Sponsored
0: by member companies Principal, Des Moines, Iowa. Principal National Life and Principal Life Insurance Company. Principal Global Investor. Securities offered by Principal Securities, Inc. member, SIPC. Having an expert to guide you through your financial life is critical to making the right money decisions for you and your family. But so many consumers have a lot of questions about how to choose the right advisor for them and how to work with them to make their financial goals a reality. To help answer some of these questions, I'm joined once again today by Douglas Bonaparte. Douglas is a certified financial planner, the president of Bonafide Wealth, New York City's financial advisor for millennials, and the co-author of the book, The Millennial Money Fix, What You Need to Know About Budgeting, Debt, and Finding Financial Freedom. Douglas, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me here again. So first of all, before we get into tips and advice, I wanted to ask you about your own backstory, becoming a financial advisor, setting up in New York City, and and how you gravitated toward millennials. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Absolutely. I'd be happy to share that with you. So I grew up the son of a financial planner, a certified financial planner at that. Um, So my father, to this day, is in practice And I had a really early opportunity to learn uh, the financial planning profession from an early age. And really, even before I started officially getting into it at 19, I was surrounded by it, Um, you know, going all the way back to 1991, 34 today, so you can do the math. Um, And I think that might be what makes me somewhat unique as a financial planning professional is just how long I've been around a fairly new profession. Uh, clearly, stockbrokers and professionals along the transactionary lines have been around for for quite some time. But the financial planning profession is, you know, between thirty and forty years old. So, I during college was learning how to run a financial planning practice from my father and getting licensed. And I started. Uh, the coursework for my certified financial planner designation my last year of school. So when I graduated, I went right into the family practice in South Florida, but it was a pretty miserable time living at home with your dad (laughs) and working for your dad was getting a little toxic. And my then-college girlfriend, now-wife, we were dating since freshman year of college. She was in New York City for law school. And I left my father's practice and set out on my own and really took what he gave me, which was how to run a, run a practice. And I took that ability to earn myself a decent salary and the opportunity to grow uh, my own book of business um, around starting at 24 when I moved to the city right in 2008, October, so perfect time, <laughs> wow. right? Absolutely perfect time uh, to move to New York City and work in finance as pretty much the sky was falling and here I was drinking out of a fire hose um, in a, uh, another person's practice. Um, so it was baptism by fire and that, that's kind of my origin story of becoming a planner, not just that I got an early start at it, but I kind of started my real New York adventure here um, you know, in, in kind of the worst economic time since the Great Depression. You know, flash forward uh, a couple partners and five, six years later, um, I launched Bonafide Wealth in December of 2016, where I saw um, a much needed uh, need to uh, work with my peers, hardworking young professionals in New York City and the surrounding area. I kind of saw that uh, and had that moment in the middle of business school at NYU. I said, wow, imagine uh, all of these people who are going to need uh, help uh, managing their finances and getting their financial lives together. Um, and that's, that was that aha moment for me. And there was no looking back at that point. I was going to work with really hardworking, really dedicated people who really wanted great things out of life. Uh, and luckily New York city in this area really offers me, uh, enough, <laughs> enough people who want that to make a viable business out of it. So that's a very long winded story. There's, uh, and by the way, that's over 15 years um, so it's been quite the journey, and and here I am today, getting to speak with you. And what are we going to
0: talk about? How to uh, how to find the right financial advisor? Is that how to right? work? How to find and how to work with, which is a good sort of a good segue. I mean, as we get started here, in broad terms, I want to get this out in the open first and foremost. What is a financial advisor going to do for a person? So for me. And and the way we operate, and you know, there's bias in that
2: statement because I feel that's how everybody should operate. You, you lead with financial planning. I think the true value of working with a financial service professional is the ability to offer financial planning, and what financial planning is, at least according to the Certified Financial Planning Board of Standards, it is a process. Uh, that allows us to analyze and provide uh, objective recommendations uh, to all aspects of one's financial life. Often financial planning is called comprehensive financial planning for the reasons of covering six main areas from cash management, protection planning, investment planning, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. So these are the, you know, you even got education planning in there. But these are the core areas that make up one's financial life. They all push and pull on one another. So a good financial planner is going to be able to dive into all of these and work with individuals on getting them lined up in such a way that they have a better shot at reaching their financial goals because that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, we're helping people reach their financial goals.
0: So now now obviously the first step here is getting the right advisor to begin with. So how do you recommend someone go about choosing their financial advisor? And then as a follow-up to that, how do you recommend switching from one to another? I mean, I, I've had this conversation. I think it's right. more commonly used with maybe with real estate agents, where you have an agent and you don't like how it's going, and at a certain point you want to switch, but you know you, you've gone down the rabbit hole with them, and, and you don't really know. It's an awkward conversation. So I'm going to ask the same <laughs> yeah. for financial advisors, where you may have worked with them for a period of time, but you're looking for, you know, a new direction.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a, a nice list of, of criteria that you can use to find yourself. Uh, the right advisor. And we'll run through those. And I'll be more than happy to, uh, you know, chop up the uh, inherently awkward conversation of firing <laughs> your financial service professional for another one, uh, if there is a good way uh, to actually do that. So let's go into the, the criteria first. Uh, the first thing I'd have you do is look at their background and their experience. Uh, you know, you should be very interested in knowing that the person who's going to help you with your personal finances uh, has a clean compliance record, uh, hasn't been around to 10 different firms, uh, and, and maybe has actually been an advisor for more than one to two years, pr- preferably three or more years. Um, you know, you want to, that is, so back up, that that experience, that, you know, one to three years, you know, probably, hey, do they have enough experience you typically want to know that someone's been through uh, a number of economic conditions, you know, both good and bad. And I think a lot of young advisors today, uh, man, they're they're well educated. They have their CFPs. Um, I give them all the credit in the world. But the only knock I would say is they haven't really seen too many economic conditions other than a pretty good market. Right. So um, someone with a little bit more experience might be able to help you if uh, you know things get choppy maybe that's not always the case, but those are the things you're looking for when it comes to background and experience. So after that, um, we can get into what their education is. So I think there is something to be said about making sure that uh, they have uh, a a degree from, from a credible school. Um, it is indicative of uh, having a stronger background. So education, it's not everything. You know, Any of these aren't everything. They go into just the entire thought process. But if you want to uncover academic background, uh, which should be re- readily available on any advisor's website, um, you can request, and this is important, you can request something called the ADV Part 2B real sexy sounding. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's a brochure that contains the advisor's educational background and so much more. So this is really the core document that if you really want to be a sleuth about looking into someone's background, not just understanding what their education is, but seeing their compliance record and stuff like that, you're going to want to get that ADV part to be. There's a lot of stuff you can learn on that. And then we'll talk about, you know, their designations. So I am the certified financial planning Board's uh, ambassador for New York City, which is interesting. That there's a out of seventy thousand certified financial planners out there. uh, There's fifty of us that serve as a liaison between uh, the board and the media to show individuals how financial planning can actually uh, help you achieve your goals. But we consider the CFP designation the gold standard in the profession. It is a robust set of academic knowledge um, that basically gives that nice stamp of approval like hey this person actually knows what they're talking about academically they actually learned about the financial planning process and went pretty deep into those six key areas uh that we talked about um again there's 250,000 roughly financial advisors maybe up to 300,000 financial advisors i'm doing air quotes here um in the u.s and only roughly 76,000 are certified financial planners um also, not the end-all be-all. I would highly recommend, again, bias statement here. Um, but just remember, you're entrusting this person with a lot of knowledge and a lot of trust. So don't be bashful. And again, recommend that uh, working with a CFP. Um, also... it it, 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 it you know, they have to abide by the fiduciary standard. And that's going to be a word I'm sure that comes up in this podcast and working for, and what is a fiduciary? Someone who puts your interests above all else. And when it comes to being a CFP, you have to be a fiduciary uh, when it comes to giving financial planning advice. So you get that there as well. Uh, very hot topic in the financial services industry. And then after we uh, think about designations, there's compensation structure and You know, with this conversation that still is ongoing about the fiduciary standard, um, which uh, should be the standard, and I can't believe that it's not, um, you you would, (laughs) isn't it funny? You would hope. That you know, when you're hiring someone that you trust with your finances, that they would put their interests. for interest you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, you think it, it would be inherent? Like, oh, wait, there's actually an option to hire someone who might put their interests before mine. Oh, fantastic! Let's hire that person. Now, um, you know, one way of of, of seeing how uh, what their interests are is how they're paid. And I'm going to break it between really two ways of going about this. Actually, let's do three ways. You know there there are there's the old school way of folks you know basically your stockbrokers that would charge commissions um, to sell you products to sell you stocks or mutual funds and there really wasn't financial advisors say hey, I think I have an investment here uh, for you to buy and they take a commission for that. Well as that business has matured into now the financial advisory financial planning business we have we have almost two sects we have fee based and fee only and collecting these fees is important. You're gonna have, let's start with the fee only. Okay, so when uh, when an advisor is managing your assets fee only advisors are also bound by the fiduciary standard so this is you know a very easy way to say hey I want to work with the fiduciary are you fee only you can ask that um, doesn't mean everyone else isn't a fiduciary it's just an automatic check of that box right there um, and what fee only means is that y- you can't accept the commission from the sale of any financial product. Instead, you charge a flat fee or a percentage of assets. Um, it, it makes the compensation structure, uh, it assumes it to be more aligned with the interests of the client, right? If the account value goes up, the advisor gets paid more. If it goes down, they get paid less. Or you're offering me these services, here's what I'm going to charge in a flat fee for them. You can you can separate um, the investment piece from the advice piece. You have a lot of flexibility there, but the point is no commissions, No motivation to continue to sell stuff, right? Is why um, that is deemed to be more aligned. And then there's fee based, where you can still sell commission based products and still, but you can do that and still be a fiduciary. um, Fee based advisors. Um, are obligated to demonstrate to their clients that any commissions they receive are from recommendations truly in their client's best interest. And right now, I'm a fee-based advisor. And and while I have enough street cred out there, no one really challenges me on this CFP, so that makes me a fiduciary. Um, But I'm fee-based right now, and that will change August as I actually go fee only, um, because I see which way things are going. But my point here is You know, you should question why they're fee-based. These are the main things uh, that you want to be on the lookout for. Um, And then I'll throw two others in there. It's relatability, right? So when you're actually going to work with someone and share your financial life with them, you you might want to actually generally mesh with who they are. Um, And here's some interesting stats. There are more CFPs over the age of 70 than there are the age of 30, So if you're if you're a younger person, your 30s or 40s, looking for a financial advisor, it might be actually difficult to find someone you can relate to, um, which is you know the advisor is usually a 55 year old white male, so it it can make it very hard, uh, very hard. So unless it's less likely you're going to find someone 20 to 30 years uh, your senior coming from a similar place in life in you. So you know relatability goes a long way because this is about relationships, not transactions. You actually want to have an open and honest dialogue with that person. And then uh, lastly, you know, uh, knowing what their main focus is, you know, financial advisors and planners, you know, do a lot more than just invest your money. You know, for me, I'm, I'm often a coach, a counselor, a consultant, and for a lot of people, a confidant. So, um, it shows you just how deep these relationships can go and where uh, you can receive value. I think that's what it's really about is, at the end of the day, when you're paying a financial professional, uh, you need to be able to receive value. But anyways, these are six areas and six things you can do to uh, go about finding the financial advisor uh, that's right for you.
0: And how about switching from one to another? What are some, just some quick...
2: Why would you ever want to leave your financial (laughs) advisor?
0: If um, the relationship isn't right, or I mean, you know, this could there's a lot of different reasons that people may have. But
2: well, sure, with three hundred thousand financial again air quotes advisors out there, clearly not everyone is a fiduciary. Not everybody, you know. There's there's of course bad apples, and there's you know, former brokers who are trying to become, you know, the fiduciaries of today? What if you just find out, you know, they're they're not treating you right or, more importantly, not showing you value? You're paying fees for, for almost nothing. You're getting no advice. You're just getting someone who's, you know, looking after, uh, looking after your investments or interested in charging you, you know, for another trade because mm-hmm. they're, they're not with it uh, in terms of how compensation models should work today. Um You know, my approach is, is basically to be forward with people. It's all about communication. Like if you're unhappy with the services you're receiving from any professional, I think you need to have that conversation. Uh, and let them know. I mean, if you're not interested in working with them anymore, you, you could go. For, you don't need to tell them anything. Let's just be very clear about that. Like you, there's there's nothing obligating you, you know, to let them know. Hey, you're fired. Like literally, you can walk into another advisor's practice, sit down, engage in financial planning. Uh, you can engage in financial planning with five different advisors. They'd never know about it. You pay them their fee, and you get your financial plan and your advice, and hopefully it all works out. You'd never do that with five different people, but they don't need to know about it. Okay, it really comes down to when you have investments with a financial uh, service professional, an advisor, a broker, whatever, and you want to get those assets out of their accounts, right, over to your new advisor. Then you gotta like do something, right? You know, there's gonna be like paperwork involved, or you know, some email notifications gonna hit them saying your client is leaving. And it's pretty much pretty much how it works. On most, it's it's an automated system that moves assets from one account to another at another firm. So you know, having been on the other end of this, I don't know why anyone would want to leave my practice but it happens, of course, and uh, you get an email saying, hey, this account's moving out, and surprisingly, you know, I would say from experience, I'll be very candid, usually don't get that call from your client, you know, like, that's how you find out, and then, you know, as an advisor, um, you know, I, you can take the attitude, like, I guess they, they weren't happy, I mean, at that point, am I looking for closure, I personally tend to say to myself, they weren't happy. They're really not coming back. I'm not gonna call them up and be like, Well, you know, where are you going? You should come back. Like what it's happened? pretty pretty definitive. Yeah. And if we had a great relationship and they were unhappy, they would have come talk to me about that. Right? We we would have had that opportunity to do it. In fact, today when people are unhappy with me and they wanna do something else, they they will let me know. But I could tell you many times in the fifteen years that I've been in this uh in this profession, you know, I'm sure if you ask a lot of other advisors, it's whoop. There go, there go the assets. So, um, look, if you're the client and you're unhappy with your advisor you have a choice. You can let them know that and, and, you know, be classy about it and let them know you're unhappy, that you're changing. Thank them for hopefully the good things that they did. Um, that's assuming you're not leaving on, uh, you know, leaving on bad terms, you know, if something really bad happened, we can have a separate conversation about that. But if you're just unhappy and want to change up and never want to talk to them again and just like move on, yeah, you don't really need to do much of any, you don't even need to talk to them. If, and, and Honestly, you can let your new advisor and their staff, you know, they should be able to hopefully put on some white gloves and bring you in and create as uh, little friction as possible when exchanging uh, relationships from one professional to the next.
0: A lot of younger people I speak with aren't even really considering financial advisors because they don't think they have enough money saved up or they don't think their salary is high enough to warrant mm-hmm. speaking with with an advisor. What would you tell that person? I mean, obviously, there's no money threshold you need to meet to get a financial advisor, but specifically, right. since you work with younger people, uh, mm. what, do you te- what do you tell them in terms of how much you need to have or even how old you are? I feel like that's another common uh, yeah. you know, hesitancy that comes up a lot is, well, you know, I'm only 24, 25, whatever. Like, I, I'll yeah. wait, you know, and do it and do it later on. So what do you, how do you handle those conversations?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's an awesome question. So first thing I'd say is there, there today is a financial planner, great financial planner. CFP is a lot of my colleagues handling the, the younger demographics, you know, whether it's uh, younger millennials in their 20s or the older millennials like me into their uh, mid, to late, uh, mid to late 30s. Um, you know, there, there now is the ability to uh, go online, find a certified financial planner that you can pay a monthly or quarterly fee or do a subscription Uh, model and get financial advice. Now, backing up. So yeah, they exist. Um, I got to give a a tip of the hat to XY Planning Network, which is an entire um, network of advisors, CFPs mostly, that um, cater to Gen X and Gen Y and some you know, Michael Kiss is an industry leader, and uh, his, his co-founder, Alan Moore, created this network. So it's there. I mean, they have over 800 advisors all over the country. So, uh, you know, they're really demonstrating that you can serve these demographics. Um, and I think there's more and more inclusion, you know, p- the accessibility and includability to be able to get financial advice uh, is, is growing by the day. Now, you said something interesting, you know, more about their being younger, like they're 24, 25. This is interesting to me because, you know, I've I've specialized in this area. And one thing that I've noticed was really when I was 24, 25 and a financial advisor, (laughs) um, I go back to, well, what value could I actually provide to um my peers at that age you know right before like we were starting to get married settling down you know we're now three four years maybe five years into uh no three four years into our jobs you know, for us, it was you know post recession. It's still extremely scary out there. Uh, I remember 25 probably being you know I-, I thought that was the worst you know part of life is 24, 25. You know, it's like puberty all over again, uh, <laughs> except your body is not changing. So I guess that's that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, just awkward time of life. So how do you provide value here? Like, what are you really going to charge and what are you really going to give? Um, you know, not to not to say you can't be an advisor and, and charge someone for advice and, and planning at this age. I, I typically think there's just not a lot it's about foundations. You know, it's about building the foundational stuff. So if you wanna if you need help doing that, there's people who, who would be more than happy to help you through cash flow and understanding what your goals are and, you know, get you systematically saving and building a cash reserve. Um, you know, that's kind of where you are in life. I, I just give that away for free. You know, if if you go to my website, you you can you can get finlit financial literacy. You can get all of these tools that we've built out with uh, infographics and worksheets and and just a whole system you can put into play uh, to give yourself that foundation. Because in my experience is around twenty seven, eight, you know, getting in there. Oh, my God. Like life becomes insanely dynamic. You know, you're you're getting into mid career, having kids, you're settling down, you're buying homes. You know, it, it's it's chaos. I actually don't think there's a more hectic time in our lives than, you know, that early to mid-30s area. So all of a sudden you go from, like, no value that you could provide, you know, a 24, 25-year-old and charge, like, a decent fee and, and make a business out of it to, you know, unlimited value here because, you know, there's a time crunch. And it's usually when... You know, free time uh, goes down and responsibilities go up. When those two things uh, work indirectly like that, you can generate a lot of value.
0: So from your perspective as an advisor, what can someone do to best prepare for their first meeting with you? And how do they make the most of their time with a financial advisor when they're they're in front of them?
2: Well, I don't think many people, you know, so I have two goals. Okay, when someone comes into my office for a complimentary consultation, I personally don't have them bring anything but themselves. I say, if you want to bring some stuff for me, a at, whether it's tax returns, investment statements, whatever they have, that's up to them. I typically don't want that. I really just want this as an opportunity to understand what's going on in their lives, where they're coming from, get to know them, but accomplish two things in that meeting. One, make sure they know how to work with a financial professional. Like whether it's me or otherwise, I just want them to know what to be looking for and how to receive value. I think it's critical because, again, no one really – no, you're not taught this. How do you know what to look for in a financial advisor unless you're listening to this podcast, clearly, (laughs) or reading a myriad of articles that clearly exist out there written by myself and my colleagues about how to do this and what to look for? Um, And I'm actually using what I wrote as a guide for today's um, today's session. So anyways – I don't think people know exactly what to look for. So educate them on that. So how to work with the finance. And then the second is whether or not financial planning is right for them. Like, I really want to know, did we go through enough here to show you that there's enough value to actually consider paying someone your money for their help. Because if there's not, you know, it's going to create buyer's remorse. I'm not going to feel good. You know, like, oh, let me take your money and really, like, come short on the advice here. And, like, maybe you don't even know that or you feel bad. You don't want to ask for your money back. It gets real, like, let's just be straightforward about it. Like, is there enough value here? Like, are you in a place in your life where you need to be paying someone for a formal financial plan? Otherwise, again, we have free information Can point you to the resources. I think the mark of a great financial advisor is someone that's willing to let a prospect know when they don't, you know, need to be working with them. And then point them in the right direction. Right? So, um... That's typically what I would suggest anyone going into a meeting is really learn about each other, you know, learn about their process. I want to know that they're putting financial planning first. I think, you know, that's almost like a hard stop for me. If you're not putting financial planning first, you know, unless you're so savvy, you're like, hey, I just want an investment, you know, only relationship. (laughs) I don't really think that's the way to go. You want to go in looking for uh, the ability to receive uh, financial planning advice and service.
0: Do you as a financial advisor or your opinion that financial advisors in general want clients who are active and aware? Do you want them maybe more trusting and hands-off? I think you've kind of alluded to this already, but are there better advisors for different types of clients, I guess is what I'm asking?
2: Yeah, I think there's a financial advisor for everybody. Um, again, relatability and what you're looking for to get out of the right. relationship Um, There are indeed folks who just do the investment piece, you know, and they do a really good job at that, regardless of what my opinion is. They seem to make their clients happy. um, And they don't do the estate planning or tax planning or or any kind of cash management or something like that. Um, There are um, colleagues of mine who specialize specifically in a type of client. I have one colleague that only does, um, you know, esports players. Athletes, doctors, <laughs> lawyers, um, dentists. I mean, there's almost like you almost like have to do a niche these days, right? You you can't even market to everyone anymore. So I think again, they're you know introverts, extroverts. Not even about profession, right? So that's that re- relatability piece uh, really coming in here.
0: Is it worth asking a financial advisor what's their own investment philosophy, and what sort of answer can they expect from from that sort of question?
2: they should expect an answer, right? You shouldn't really fumble around on that one and they should have a philosophy especially if they are going to be managing money on behalf of their clients. Now, I want I want listeners to know, you know, there are financial professionals and certified financial planners that don't do the investment piece. They just do financial planning. They'll give you uh, an asset allocation and and you know, help you understand anything you want to know about investments and and ultimately let you carry that out, right? But if you're um if you're doing uh Investment management with an advisor—you definitely should know what their process is. You definitely know the types of funds and investments they use. They should be able to spell this all out to you. Like it's in—it's in our brochure, right? So after that compliment, uh, after that consultation, you get our firm's brochure, and it shows you how everything is done here. It's—it's it's a complete, uh, you know, complete review of what we spoke about in our meeting, and it shows how things. And then again, we'll sit down with you to further elaborate on some things uh, when it comes to our process for investing.
0: I want to talk a little bit about measuring success with a financial advisor, which we've sort of circled a little bit already. But how should an individual use metrics to determine how they're doing versus the bigger picture of how the market is performing, right? Like things are good, I want to be doing well too. Things are bad, I want to be doing well, you know, anyway. Uh, how do you yeah. have these conversations with, with your clients about how to look at the big picture?
2: Absolutely. And this is, this is really where financial planning is key you know if you're if you're just looking at you know how much your account went up or down you know in any particular you know day hopefully not you're like a <laughs> month or, or a year um you know you don't really have context you know, context is everything, and the financial plan provides that. It's it's really your you know, barometer for how well you're doing compared to what? Your goals, right? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to accomplish goals. So that's what you're comparing to, not necessarily how the S&P 500 did or a particular index did. How are you doing relative to your goals? Because if you achieve your goals, do you, do you really care? What anyone else is doing? See, I think that's that's fundamental understanding here is that you got to put your blinders on. You know, we call it personal finance for a reason. It's personal. You know, you're playing a game with yourself. You know, with your own emotions, your own goals, your own lives, and obviously, your family and significant other is all part of this too. Um, but you know, it, it it is when you think about. So so let's just back up for a second because it is important to say that you, you can't like be underperforming significantly the market, you know, right? You just you just can't, you know, part of my life, you just can't suck at this, right? You actually uh you actually need to earn a return. But again, that's it's not only relative to your goals, but depending on how you're investing, you know, there there should be an expectation set for what your return should be. And and again, that's in the financial plan, that's in the retirement planning section or the goal section where it shows you, hey, this this is what we're trying to achieve. Um, and then there's the actual performance. So for me personally, um, I don't believe you can beat the market consistently. It's really a function of how much risk are you willing to take to get um, your share of the market's like returns. So um, that's basically a big ploy for index investing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or what we call passive investing. But again, we, we, we can put together those portfolios and get, you know, using historical data and expectation for what our allocation or investment should get us relative to our goals, like if your retirement plan says, "Hey, we're trying to get five point, you know, five five percent, you know, long term," um, we can look at portfolios that historically over the long term get that, and reasonably so, right? Not trying to do like, uh, you know, a Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey twelve percent rate of <laughs> return, you know, thing here, which is preposterous, like absolutely asinine, but um, you know, you can you can look for more meaningful uh, returns like that, that again plug into the goals you're trying to achieve.
0: So, we've already been talking a little bit about the different types of relationships with a financial advisor. I've seen those commercials that, for me, are pretty cringy, where the advisor is at the client's retirement party, you know, with the couldn't do it without you, Steve. Uh, <laughs> do, do, you, do you see yourself as that involved in a client's life? Can we debunk this here and now, or am I just being a bit of a cynic?
2: I mean, I think that's a generational thing, you know, more more than it's, you know, the specific thing that they're doing. You know, like I've I've been, to, I personally. Thin, if not. Done, oh no, some, some, <laughs> some of that. No, I would say you know. Again, I work with mostly a younger clientele, but working with my dad's practice, I can tell you, you know, people were retiring, and we would take you know and do a nice dinner for the family and the like. You know, I remember my dad being like, "Come on, we're going to do something really nice for them. We help them get here." Mm-hmm. So I think there's something really nice to be said for that, and sure. maybe that's you know what the 60 or 70 year old retiree is looking for. I think that's more more their cup of tea, perhaps, and, and you know that's painting with a broad brush right there, you know. And, but take it for what it's worth. Now, if you're talking about younger clientele, like we like experiences. Like, you know, uh, a client gets promoted, you know, to a big role. You send them like a nice single malt because you know they like <laughs> scotch. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's <laughs> a classy move. You got something. It shows you know them and what they like. And something to remember the experience by every time they take a sip. So, you know, you do that's client service. You know, you do these things. And, again, relatability here. You know, you should know what your clients like and what they do so you can make them happy. Not just to be able to get great financial planning and advice from you, but to have a great relationship. Shows you care. That's why they're paying you.
0: And in this conversation of specialization, I mentioned your tagline of sorts at the beginning, New York City's financial advisor for millennials. I assume you don't only work with millennials. So how do you, you know, go about looking at a millennial versus maybe a 50-year-old client and, and how you is it all individualized on, on how you act with that? certain person
2: yeah obviously i don't don't just work with millennials we have plenty of clients uh, in the practice that uh, are a lot of gen x which honestly it's, it's extremely relatable here i'm, I'm sure. older millennials. so right. i fold nicely into any late 30 early 40 something year i'll actually love 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 working with a generation um, a lot of baby boomer clients I'm um, from South Florida, Boca Raton. You know, I might as well have grown up in 1942. So I actually resonate very well with even older clientele, like 80s. Like I'm actually homies with with the 80 year old crowd, um, and then the baby boomers here and there for sure. Um, again, not to hit the relatability button over and over again. So sure. while I'm uh, perfectly qualified to pretty much handle any walk of life. That relatability piece is a big driver and something I consciously thought about as I broke away and started Bonafide Wealth, which is, you know, I'm holding the hands and and, and ingraining myself in the lives of individuals. I I have to sleep well at night with that. I have to really have my heart into that. And granted, it's difficult to do that with people you don't necessarily relate to. And again, candid moment here. Over the last 12 months, I've shed two very large baby boomer accounts you know, the, these were these were big big clients of the firm that, you know, we helped get to retirement. We helped for many 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 years and they invested in me. You know, if they've been, you know, I'm 34. They've been with me since, you know, my mid 20s. I owe them a great deal of gratitude for for trusting me, you know, and and I obviously viewed that as an opportunity to grow and be able to focus on millennials, you know. They're they they helped me keep the lights on and I gave them my all and interestingly enough you know i i thought like hey we'll be we'll be together forever you know till the day they die and guess what You know, I branded myself a certain way. They entered a phase of their life Hmm. where all of a sudden I wasn't quite able to relate maybe emotionally to what it's like to be 70 and step down from a job after 40 years and go into this new phase and the conversations they're having with their friends, you know, who who are you know still working with the big banks and have, you know, a a 70-year-old advisor over there that makes them, oh, we can relate to that and then all that stuff, you know, and there you go. I mean, it, it almost had nothing to do with my skill. We had an amazing relationship for for many, many years, and sure enough, at the end of the day, they they didn't remain clients. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not surprised by it, you know. It, it obviously, you know, still hurts, but and it would hurt a lot more if this was five, six years ago and you know still figuring things out. But there you go. That's that's relatability on full blast and more conviction to. Um, work with people that you can go all in on and relate to. I think that's a big, big message when looking for a financial advisor. Uh, you want someone that's going to be there and understand and where
0: you're at. The half step away from relatability, I think to me, is communication. So just outside of maybe your own uh, practice, how much communication is there between financial advisor and client on a yearly basis? But how much should there be? Do you think you know that there's... A lot more room for more communication or or are things sort of fine where they are right now?
2: Old school, new school, right? Old school is like literally picking up the phone or doing the in-service meetings face-to-face. Like, you know, we we have a quarterly service model for our financial planning clients. I want a formal communication either in person or, you know, through any telecommunication (laughs) device you want, Skype, FaceTime, you name it, it. It's there. But I think, really, as far as the the new wave stuff is having your blog, having your social media profile. I mean, you know, I'm on the extreme end of this, you know, being being a voice in the profession, you know, be very active on social media and, and Twitter, specifically financial Twitter, and making a name for yourself in these areas. Um, how is that not communicating with your client? Like the quarterly newsletter, like we have a monthly newsletter. That's really an in brief of what we've been up to, not this like long prose of the market. And what, like my clients know what's going on with me almost every second of every day. I put that out there like that. So you don't necessarily need to go down, like how much is enough? I'm always accessible. I'm always there. It's, it's full transparency versus this like, oh, my you know advisor's in his mahogany-laden office. (laughs) and i'm here for my annual meeting you know with him or her um yeah i just like i think most people like think about it like that like that's still the stigma here and it's really just not the case at all like you can work virtually with cfps all over
0: the country um on your own terms whenever you want so we've spoken a little bit about fees already but i want to get back to it very briefly uh to fight against sort of those big warnings about how you know a seemingly small fee could be taking out hundreds of thousand dollars from your retirement account over thirty and forty years. So obviously we we talked about fees a little bit already, but yeah. when we look at uh, avoiding fees, robo advisors or just avoiding fees in general, is that a problem? I sort of compare it to like avoiding a premier store to shop at the dollar store. I mean, how do you analyze? differences in fees and and how, you know, you don't want something for free because you may not be getting the best quality.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, at the beginning of the month, um, I wrote a blog post called uh, Three Ways to Invest. And I'll plug my blog here, uh, weekly blog, check it out. Um, But nonetheless, I wrote Three Ways to Invest. um, And it pretty much stated that investing has been, you know, my take is investing has become a commodity. Yeah, the market's flooded with uh, products and platforms capable of getting you properly invested for little or no cost at all. Uh, earlier this year, uh, Fidelity launched four mutual funds that are literally zero expense, like. I called them on the phone, like I called the 1-800 number while writing this blog post and I said, <laughs> I got a very smart, savvy um, y- young lady professional on the phone and I said, look, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional, I'm not going to hide who I am, I, I want to know, can you literally invest for free? Like, go through all the little hidden, like there. she's like, no hidden fees, nothing, you can open, close the account, no fee, buy no fee. sell no fee, I'm like, holy cow, it is here for sure. Um, you can invest for free. That's just showing you like where we are currently. So there are three ways, really. It's do it yourself. Uh, again, you can go completely, you know, zero fee. You could pay um, uh, per per trade. You could do this on you know your your e trades of the world. But basically, if you have the time, confidence, and inclination and discipline to invest your own money, nothing will will be more cost effective than doing this, right? And and I think it comes down to those factors. Um, but you know it's it's time you know what's your time worth to you if you d- if you don't have the time to do this or you don't or you're fearful of messing it up because you know you're trading you know stocks and, and investments at this point or you're emote you just know your emotions are going to get in the way and you can't stick to a long-term strategy maybe maybe then do-it-yourself is is not the right way to go and then the second is robo advisors as, as you mentioned so a little technology can go a long way so for on average maybe 35 basis point to 0.3 a year or less, which is well under what uh, professionals typically charge on average, closer to 1%. You can leverage these digital platforms uh, to handle the management of your investments, and there's no shortage of platforms to choose from either. they can be super effective, you know, covering really the entire gamut of strategic buy and hold investing, meaning I'm going to stick with this for a long term. Um, you know, their their popularity is only going to continue to grow. They're going to expand into their offerings. So what did you see a lot of the large robo-advisors do? They hired financial professionals to now offer those services. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's it happening the other way around. And then there are professionals, right, those those that prefer a professional relationship and access to a wider range of investment opportunities and services. You know, if that's what you're looking for, then professionals are the way to go. Um, I'll be very honest within the wealth management profession there there's a growing conversation about what financial professionals charge for investment management and what right. they're getting you know it's typically that one percent you know fee per year that's that's kind of the standard for how individuals work with professionals on, on a fee-based relationship um, you know so from flat fees to hourly rates and hybrid solutions the bottom line is you, you can find a way to work with a professional here. Um, and I think what many investments, prof- excuse me, I think what many investment professionals fail to realize is that if you're going to charge an amount above now what a robo advisor charges, regardless of how you're charging, you know, you have to actually offer value and service above right. what a robo-advisor provides. Um, and that's where financial planning and other services, you know, come into play. You know, otherwise, you, you run the risk as a professional of charging people too much, and you're going to lose relationships, you know, as they learn about these other methods or gain confidence to do it on their own. Um but, you know, I think that's something the profession needs to, to, to understand, you know. You can't just run investment management, charge 1%. You You're hearing it, you hear, heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you know, you just can't charge 1% to do, you know, strategic buy and hold investing um, and not provide more than what, you know, someone could do by just hiring the robots <laughs> to do it for them. So that's why we lead with financial planning, and that's why financial planning is so important.
0: Again, driving that value. So as we close up here, I feel like we could talk about this for a long time, but we're going to close up. What is maybe the biggest mistake that a lot of new investors make when working with a financial advisor, if you had to pick one thing?
2: Thinking investments are the end-all, be-all, and thinking, um, thinking you don't need to earn the right to invest first. I think fundamentals and building strong foundations in which to get you to the point of investing in a disciplined way is vastly more important than the investment piece itself it's just one area again rattle them off cash management protection planning tax estate retirement um these are other areas that are are as important if not more important than just the investing piece by itself so again um you know it's not about investing all the time uh, it, it's about really being in control of your financial life. And, and I think once you have that control, you can go about things like investing a lot easier.
0: Douglas, thanks once again for, for coming on, helping to clear up the financial advisor-client relationship. Where can people find you on, on social media to get some more great advice?
2: Yeah, come join the fun on Twitter. It's at Doug Bonaparte. Uh, you can visit me on bonafidewealth.com and you can find pretty much every way to get a hold of me uh, right there on the website.
0: Alright, thank you very much. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Check out our other episodes and go to money.usnews.com for advice, rankings, and tools on all things investing. If you have specific questions about investing you'd like answered on the show, please email us at wealthofknowledge@usnews.com, at usnews.com and we'll try to answer a few on future episodes. Finally, please subscribe, rate, and comment on our podcast so that we can help more people make smarter decisions with their finances. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. See you next week.
1: At Principal, we get it. You have big plans for your money, but sometimes life has something else in mind. There are twists and turns you never see coming. Twists like promotions and job transfers, and turns like new family members and rising college tuitions. Life doesn't always go according to plan. We can help you plan for that. Principal. Investments. Retirement. Insurance. Sponsored by member companies of Principal, Des Moines, Iowa. Principal National Life and Principal Life Insurance Company. Principal Global Investor. Securities offered by Principal Securities, Inc. Member SIPC.